Hello, everyone. How you doing? Welcome to another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. This time, I always say super honored and excited to have another phenomenal guest. And this guest, I'm looking forward to to bringing out some really thought-provoking ideas. And before I even get into the introduction of who our guest is and into this powerful conversation, uh, is also an incredible uh, CEO of a company which I love, not just the notebooks, but everything. And those of you listening obviously can't can't see, but I've got my I've got my weekly uh, little processor that is huge. Actually, I've got my my high school son who's getting ready. To, he's he's a senior. And he's trying to figure out how to better organize, and he's been trying all sorts of methods, and he's jumping into this. Uh, so I just. I'm nerding out here a little bit, a little fanboy in here, not just as usual for amazing work and content, but also uh, in this case, uh, the the products that this guest creates as well. And obviously not just him, but his entire team and company. And we're here today to talk about creativity and a lot of things that come around that word that is so often used. And so before we get into this engaging, powerful conversation, uh, Joy, I, I want to make sure we get a chance for you to introduce yourself because I'm already getting ahead of myself. I'm getting a little too excited here. Um, let everybody know who you are, what you do, and what you got going on because I'm going to go on the assumption that most of this audience that listens is education and maybe a majority of them maybe haven't heard of you before because you're not necessarily directly in the education world. Uh, but a lot of your ideas and thoughts definitely resonate with the things that we're grappling with. Yes, Aaron. Thanks, man. Love the uh, the love from in the beginning. I appreciate that. And hello, everyone out there. My name is Joey Cafone, and I'm an entrepreneur and an author, newly minted author. I founded Baron Fig, um, as you have learned, a company that makes tools to help you do your best thinking. And I more recently wrote the book, The Laws of Creativity, which teaches you how to master your ideas. Under the hood, I've designed, I'm have i a designer. I've designed and art directed over 100 products from zero to scratch, which has enabled me to write that book. And uh, all together, in a nutshell, my work focuses on helping people turn their ideas into reality. I love it. I love it. And I want to dive into one of the passages at right in the very beginning of this book. And I love the book. I love the way it's structured and organized and we'll definitely get into that. Um, but I have to put some nerd love in here that the book itself, I love the feel of the paper and I love the binding of the book. And so uh, not everybody gets into that, but man, I'm, I have the book in, in my hand right now and I just absolutely kudos to the paper quality and the binding quality of that uh, the way, way it's put together. And uh, I think the, the details to putting the book together, uh, you know, I think just exemplifies the work that you do as, as well as the ideas in the book. I mean, so many of those things that you're, that are in here are very tangible, but, it, and it's those small details that I think at the end of the day, that make a huge difference. And uh, uh, so I, anyways, I had to put my, I appreciate nerd, it. Nerd yeah, love we, into there. <laughs> we we made this thing from scratch. You know, we we didn't go through a traditional publisher because they they basically you know you do all the work and they take like uh, eighty five to ninety percent. 
yes and yes. put it in their pocket and so we make books so we figured all right if we can make books without stuff on the inside of bet we can make one with it and so you know I, I appreciate the love i hear that a lot people are like this thing this thing is legit like this is better than a published book from a big publisher so yeah yes. um i'm glad because we spent a ton of time you know coming up with the measurements and looking at materials and binding this thing and Anyway, thanks. I'm glad it's appreciated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, getting right into to the book and the content itself, I want to start off and, and read a part that happens right in the beginning um, as it relates to, to education. And I think it's going to frame up um, a lot of the ideas moving forward, because I think you hit the nail on the head um, with, I mean, right away out of the gates and the within the first 10 pages of it's not what the whole book is based on, but you plant the seed in terms of like why there's some issues I'll say with, with creativity, not that um, some misconceptions maybe. And so I want to read this as a, as a segue to, to, to spur some thought and get us moving. And, and in your book, you have uh, a paragraph in here that, that reads as follows that today's education is built upon the bedrock of yesterday's instincts, which I love that one, by the way. Uh, the methods that we use to educate our youth while seemingly effective in creating a contributing citizen go against the very nature of creative thought. Our school system imprints three devastating perspectives on appreciable young minds around the world. The first is that authority, teachers, principals, deans, and other staff is unquestionable. Second is that man-made rules must be followed to a fault. And third, perhaps the most damaging of all, is that the end is visible from the start. I love that. And you go into talk about how a lot of these things are man-made created and a lot of innovation is because people did challenge the system. So um, I do want to put in and I'll get, let you you kind of expand upon that. The book is not like education sucks, but we all know, I think people to this show, there are some things that are not working. Uh, no one can, can deny that. And so I loved that paragraph because I feel like, man, those are some things that we really need to think about while we're trying to recalibrate what it is we need to be doing for students. And so if we start there, I don't really have it framed as a question, but maybe yeah. some of the, this where your head and perspectives coming from with that, because I think it's uh very powerful for all of us in education to go, Hmm, what are we going to do? Sure. With that? Yeah. And it's uh, when I, when my wife read that, she's like, man, you're really calling out some stuff. <laughs> and uh, I told Aaron before we started, one of my very best friends is a teacher. Um, uh, I think he does second through eighth grade and um you know we talked about this extensively like how can i frame this in a way where i'm respecting it but also calling it out yeah uh and so we talk about authority and rules and then the way we present and teach as a, a fundamental process so uh, first the first point is authority should be questioned it's how the current authority came to be right i'm like you know word for word almost what i'm saying in the book yeah and rules should not be followed to a fault. I mean, rules are, aren't infallible. They're best guesses. And if we go back to the first part, if a good authority is in place, they constantly evolve. So rules should never be looked at as this concrete, immovable, static uh, framework. And we teach kids that they are very often. Like These are the rules. Don't question them. And you have no opinion towards them. And that's unfortunate. Um, and it, it, you know, we talk about kids, but the same structure 
follows right through higher education into the workplace. It's right. the same thing. You don't, you're not supposed to question your boss. The rules at work can't be discussed. But what's really important, and it's like I said, it's the what I believe is the most devastating after all the conversations and research I've done, is that we present the end at the beginning. Okay. Mm. And I want to bring that down to earth and in, in, instead of keeping it so abstract abstract. So think of it this way. When we give an assignment to a student and we say, you're going to read this book, Fahrenheit 451, you're going to give me a three-page paper on the plot, and it's due next Friday. Okay. They know exactly what they're going to end up with. Mm. They haven't, they don't know what the book is about, but they know exactly what they need to do from start to finish. So the end, there's no mystery there. Then you go to work and same thing. The boss will show up and say, hey, we're doing a two week sprint. Today's Monday by the, you know, two Fridays from now, you need to have this done. You know, maybe it's a website design or copywriting or a lesson plan, whatever it is. And we are always served up the ending at the beginning. Mm. And that is the very antithesis of creativity. It is the very antithesis of being a human and living the human experience. Because we, when we are born, no one tells us how it's going to end, aside from you're going to die. Like, where, where <laughs> am I going to be? Who am I going to be married to? What am I going to be doing? We have no idea. And so we are, that particular process, if, if, which is mostly how education presents itself, unfortunately does not prepare us for going out into the real world and suddenly realizing i don't know what's going to happen next no one is here to tell me where my partner in life is or how to handle kids or if i'll have kids or what they'll be like and i mean i could go on and on but the point is there's the unknown versus the known and through our entire first 22 years of life and then even into the workplace the unknown uh, is something we rarely have to face yet in our personal life and actually being a human, it is quintessential to a fulfilling life. And then as an ana analogous comparison, of course, creativity requires that you wander into the unknown to make something that you didn't know you could make or that didn't exist beforehand. Yeah, I love that. And there's so much to unpack there. I mean, as we, I think about like the word user was the unknown. And I think about the students and things that I work with and and even educators as lifelong learners, like we don't even know ourselves enough, you know, especially as kids, because they haven't lived long enough. Like how do we give them opportunities in these unknown spaces to learn more about themselves as well? Not just for the sake of, you know, academic content, but this exploration of the world. And, and, and you know, part of that passage that, that you wrote in the book there talks about rules and, I think one of the things, and I'm curious how you see that in all the work that that you do, is when we see rules, I I, I see two different sets of rules. Uh, there is obviously rules that are, you know, in a handbook or in a contract or things that we have to adhere to, um, and and sometimes those rules need to be challenged. Sometimes there's we all know there's certain rules that you know are are there for a reason, uh, for good measure. But I see the biggest barrier barrier to creativity in this like second set of rules. And I always call them like the invisible rules. These perceptions that we think there's all these rules in place and they actually don't exist. Whether it's been handed down through tradition, whether it's the perception, maybe it's it's the way 
leaders and other people have talked to one another and we kind of feel this like self-imposed and like to me if we can kind of peel back those layers and go like prove to me that's what i'd like to do when i when i'm working in some like workshops prove to me where that rule exists of why you can't do this type of teaching or learning like it, it show me in your handbook where that's at. So I'm curious on, on your thought there too. Like where, where, where do you see in terms of rules? Do you see that like invisible rule or like, like how do you work around that? Yeah. And maybe some of the people that you work with either in Barry and Fig or, you know, your multiple other <laughs> startups and projects and things that you've done. Yeah, this is a, this is a key part of, of unleashing your mind. And you know, so to, to briefly detour the the book is divided into three parts yeah part one is mindset how to think creatively part two is the process part three is how to be uh excellent you know greater like top tier and part one has to before i can even get into teaching you how to do a process of creating anything because part two is literally a step-by-step guide to making anything from right having no idea all the way to publishing whatever it is into the world part one is all about restructuring the ideas that we were raised with and one of them the second chapter is about assumptions so these there are these invisible rules as you call it which i'm calling assumptions that are handed down from generation to generation and they can be completely false so you know the it's chapter two is title challenge assumptions and it's the law of disruption and i'll read it for everyone it simply says you have the right to challenge question and prove upon the ideas that are handed to you at some point these ideas evolved from and innovated on what came before them it follows then that they themselves will eventually be replaced and so what we need to do is when we are operating under any set of um parameters that or you know we can call them rules parameters instructions we have to stop first and say are these rules or assumptions or parameters valid or true and so the the problem is that when we're in a workplace or in a school um, or, or participating with a group it's so easy to follow what has already been done or what everyone is doing and each chapter for everyone out there, each chapter starts with a law that I just read and then a story, something in history, present, uh, recent history or more distant. And so this particular chapter tells a story about um, a place called Phrygia, which is today known as Turkey, where there was an oracle pr- proclaimed that anyone who could untie um, an ox cart from this stake would become uh, like the ruler of Asia. Okay. And of course, Alexander the Great was rolling through and he heard this and he was like, huh, I got to check this out. And nobody could untie this thing. People tried and tried and tried. And so Alexander the Great said, take me to this thing. And all these people gathered around to watch him try to untie this thing. And he could not untie it either. And people started to whisper and question because, oh my goodness, this great ruler, you know, this great conqueror, and he's headed to Asia. What the heck's going to happen? And all of a sudden, Alexander the Great stepped back and and said out loud, it makes no difference how the knot is untied. And he sliced it open with his sword and he cut it off. And of course, he uh, then in one way or another untied the ox cart. And although, you know, this is up to everyone who wants to worry about prophecy or not, but he did go on to to conquer Asia. (laughs) 
And the idea in that story is that, well, the rules that everyone had assumed were that you need to separate the ox cart from the stake by untying a knot the same way you would untie your shoelaces or, you know, back then untie a boat from its dock or something. And uh, Alexander the Great, you know, proved that that might not be the case. And so in our day-to-day life, it's important that when we're doing what, whatever we're doing, we also look and say, the way in which I was told or served up in how to do this needs to be addressed first. Yeah, I love that. And I also love, I, I love that story in that chapter. And I also love the way you frame the idea of disruption in that chapter. I know in the education space to say disruption sometimes implies uh, a like kind of has a negative connotation like you're you know you're going to go against the system you're going to rebel you're going to you know and in right. some ways obviously that's why you're trying to disrupt you're trying to do something different for something that isn't working but what i liked about in that chapter is you you have it framed in there as like and you have it as enacting positive change like that's the disruption and like trying to make things better you go on on there to say that uh the changes need to be better and i think that's really the a key critical piece that if we are going to challenge the rules and challenge the assumptions that we're doing it in a way that does improve and make things better. Um, right. Not that I think people are going to go about trying to do stuff to make things worse, but I think the way it's framed is just like yeah. in my brain, a good reminder that as I use those words that I'm, I'm putting it in that kind of positive light, like we're trying to move, you know, Exactly. forward in progress we're not trying to disrupt to make life more miserable for everybody <laughs> yeah yeah no totally there's there's um i don't i keep wanting to say the word different screw it i'll just say it there's a difference <laughs> between making things different versus better mm. and that can be conflated pretty easily like oh look i've i've changed but okay cool you you may have made something that is not like it is now, but have you improved on it? And um, oftentimes, you know, that's not the case. People look at different and think, "Oh, I've I've done good," and and it's it's just wheel spinning uh, in a in a in a mask. Right, right. And I, the other thing that I think was what, that's really powerful in this first part of your book on the mindset part. You know, I, I like how you have the book organized because you really do have to kind of look internally. Um, I mean, you could have the best process in the world, but if your mind isn't in the right space or the frame of thinking, like the tools in and of yeah. itself become, a, a, you know, ineffective. And you hit on something that I think is really important um, in terms of like, there's this tension between fitting in and standing out. And mm-hmm. we're, we're always trying, that's always, I think a, a lifetime balance that we're trying to figure out when do we need to be part of the community there's safety there when do we need to step outside and you know in the name of this podcast living on the edge of chaos and and go here's my idea i'm going to be brave and vulnerable with this new new thought this new idea this new product and i see that a lot obviously with kids as they're trying to navigate I, we're doing some some deep thinking projects and it takes time to build a, a a space, a safe space where they can be vulnerable in new thoughts, but also understanding for us as the adults 
working with them that there's also a social status that's going on too. Nobody yeah. wants to look dumb. Nobody wants to, you know, lose a loose status in a circle or wherever that might be that goes beyond what we're trying to do with trying to get these kids thinking in that self-awareness. And I, that happens in the adult world as well. And you've got in there, um, and I've heard you talk about it too, and I'd love for you to, to share this here too, just how unique we all are. Because I think we yeah. say that all the time, but the way you framed it with, you know, having three likes or four hobbies, uh, yeah. really just, oh, can... and and the the numbers behind that, just sit there and go, you know, it's 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 a simple concept with just <laughs> compound, compound interest of value of like, holy cow, all these get... I look at education, all the kids we get to work with and all of this unique perspectives and how do we bring that to the classroom for powerful learning, deep learning, and opening our eyes to all the perspectives that we have a luxury of working with every single day because they're in our hallways, they're in our classrooms. Yeah. I mean, it must be wonderful working with so many kids and like just those young, fresh perspectives is beautiful. I've got two young neighbors um right door next to ours one's 11 and one is 14 and just every i the joy that comes from hearing them talk about things and the perspective that they have and the questions that they ask is just so exhilarating and interesting and enriching and i i mean i get so much out of that relationship and i could tell that they get out of the relationship from me you know for different reasons right anyway to address this this uniqueness there's there's two aspects there's there's first there's like what is uniqueness but there's also a pre-aspect to that which is why why is uniqueness important and it's it sounds a little mundane uh or or counterintuitive but the word weird has been weaponized mm. and you probably hear this a lot is, Oh, you know, one kid calls another kid, you're weird. Or don't, or the, a new kid comes to class and they say, don't talk to him. He's the weird kid. And like you said, with adults, it can happen where someone is like, Hey, don't eat lunch with them. They're weird. The weird guy in the office. So th this is, um, this is where I really, really, really am passionate about because we have this, incredibly um hypocritical perspective on difference mm. so i in our own bubble in the in the in the area in which we exist for the majority of our lives you know your home your school your neighborhood we ostracize those who are different uh, as a as a society culturally and not just you know us it's it's quite a prevalent thing as human beings we tend to ostracize those who are different from us. We want to bang people into conformity. But what is really curious is that we worship, we praise weirdness outside of our bubble. Mm. So think about it. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to name some people and they're not necessarily my favorite or anything, but uh, Kanye West Elon Musk, Oprah Winfrey, politicians, Martha Stewart, Tom Cruise, right? They are all categorized as really eccentric, different. And we we praise them for that. And they make a huge living on being themselves and being those oddities out in the world. Uh, and we love that. But if it's inside our bubble, we we really dislike it. And so, you know, 
I say in the book, weird means you're different, different means you're unique, and unique means you are original. And at the end of the day, everybody wants to be original, but they just don't want originality in their bubble. It's quite curious, uh, human at a human level. And I, you know, I think why is weird acceptable on a global scale, but not on a local scale? And there's a disconnect there. And it's up to us to stand up and break through those localized pressures. So some, in my opinion, if there's a weird person at school or at work, they are the bravest person in the room because they have decided that they are going to be themselves regardless of what everyone else around them wants them to be. So that's number one. And recognizing that originality and how it can be portrayed in in your social small social circles um, and how all that, that, that manifests. So the second thing is then, okay, let's say, all right, Joey, you know, uh, originality is awesome and weirdness. Let's all let it out. Let my freak flag fr- fly. <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm not that interesting. So this is where we're talking about the math part, which uh, you know, I beg to differ. So let's do, let's do an experiment with you, Aaron. Ready? Okay. We're yep. going to do, I'm going to take three things that you like, and we're not going to say favorites just because then you'll really think too hard about it. Sure. So just three things you like, I'm going to do movie, uh, TV show and a video game, let's say. So what's a movie that you like? You know, what? I'm going to go with, uh, my shirt that I've got on. So I'm going to, and it's the holiday time at time it's recording. So I'm going Christmas vacation. All right. I'm writing this down now. Let's do, uh, it's a great movie. <laughs> Let's do a TV show and then yeah. a video game. TV show. I, I I've got to go Andor. I think it's. I mean, oh. I could talk Andor for days, but man, what a beautiful new story way story development in the Star Wars universe. Um, Absolutely. Yes. And I have been saying for a while. What's the movie that had uh, the same character? I forget. Uh, Rogue uh, One. Rogue One was, in my opinion, one of the best Star <laughs> yeah. Wars movies ever yes ever yes. okay yeah. i'm with you on that okay andor is the tv and then a video game video game i'm gonna go old school nintendo 64 golden eye i do that was coming in <laughs> yeah four player uh, that's right in the facility oh uh, yeah <laughs> all right so we got golden eye we got andor and we got christmas vacation okay so with just three variables and let's say there's a thousand of each of those which we know there's more than a thousand movies there's more than a thousand games more than a thousand tv shows let's just limit it the permutations possible are one billion okay Mm -hmm. now there are eight billion people on earth so if you are one you instead of being one in eight billion you become one in eight people that have those same three likes so right away, your originality is incredible. If right. you can take those things you like and fit them into what you do. Now, of course, let's do the really fun part, which is we're going to add a fourth thing. So let's do what is a book that you really like? Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the book we're talking about today, Law of the Creativity. It's my my yeah. fresh, fresh, awesome read, man. Dude, that's my favorite book too. <laughs> All right. So with four things and a thousand, and again, there's way more than a thousand books when the permutations now are 1 trillion, it's 128 times the population of earth. So if you created something where you put just those four interests, that thing would be incredibly unique, 128 times the population of earth unique. And so 
when someone says, oh, I'm not interesting or original, no, you are, you might just not realize that you are allowed to take the interests that you may have considered weird in a negative way to put them into something you make. Mm -hmm. And I'll use an example here as myself is I love philosophy. I love creating and I love design. And so for me, I created Baron Fig. I took the philosophy of thinkers. I designed products that I really liked. And I used, those products were intended for people to use to create and think and develop their ideas. Right. And I made Baron Fig. It is, is it the most unique thing in the world? Absolutely not. There are other notebook companies. But the way I did it is different from the others. And that's all you need to go ahead and, as I've done the last decade, serve. Oh, hundreds of thousands of customers, you know, millions of products uh, to, you know, like 90 something countries around the world. And so we need to recognize, number one, that being different is incredible on a localized scale. And then number two, inside recognize just how much potential we have if we let that interest those interests out into the world i love it i love it so much and you know as, as you're as you're talking about that i think it'd be i i would love to know know more about your journey with baron fig around these what you just said and the laws of creativity um because i'm i'm wondering like it, it could be a really interesting aha moment for for the listeners like i'm a notebook junkie like i am very particular with certain pens and pencils and the the size of my notebooks depending on what i want to do and what i'm working on i mean i like you know and which is baron figures is, is one of my favorites for a lot of the work that i do but not everybody i know operates that way and i would mm -hmm. say there's probably a lot of people that are just like just give me a piece of paper not a big deal okay it's a notebook company yeah you know so how does what you just talked about this idea of of being weird these these all these incredible laws of creativity how did you manifest that into this idea of you know a notebook company which are much more than notebooks so I, i'm not trying to downplay that but notebooks mm -hmm. were the cornerstone of of where you started i think in this work uh you could correct me if i'm wrong on yes. that but correct. um where where people would say it's a notebook. Like what's so creative about that? Like how yeah. have you woven that in to be creative in something that, you know, it's a notebook for the average person, you know, they don't care about that. Like, cause I think that could be a critical turning point uh, for a lot of people to start to see themselves and this idea of creativity. I mean, obviously, I mean, I'm, that's the whole point of this sure. I mean, to read the book would, would answer that, but for the sake of, of those that um, need to go read it, how would you how would you uh, talk about that or or address that? Yeah, there's a couple of things. So the, the just the background behind the idea is that I went to design school and I realized that my fellow designers were using two tools, laptop and a notebook. The laptops were all the same. MacBooks, notebooks were different brands, different sizes, different paper types. And I questioned why was there ubiquity in one and not in the other. And I went and I explored it. And it really came down to the brand and, and people, um, they attach themselves to stories and there was no good story coming out of a brand. You know, before Baron Fig, even the big 
guys, I won't name them, those big companies, they would just <laughs> show like beautiful drawings in a notebook. And I came along and I'm like, nobody does that. Like, like okay, there's some professional illustrators, but where's the ugly productivity of <laughs> yeah, lists and, right. and notes that look like crap? Let's let's feature that and say, this is awesome. That's my and world. Yeah. yeah, me too. <laughs> and I did that. And people are like, oh man, this is for me. This is speaking to me. And so we put this story together and we actually coined the word thinkers back in 2013 because I needed, we're going to go off on a tangent, but I think education folks might appreciate this. Yeah. So language shapes uh, how we think, mm. okay? If we don't have the word for something, we tend to not think about it. And uh, I realized that we have a word for the collective noun for people who do endeavors of the body, athletes. But we don't have a collective noun for people to, who do endeavors of the mind. Mm. Artist isn't it. Thinker is what we came up with and started to really emphasize what a thinker is. And we at the time, nobody was doing this at all. And since then, which is really cool to see, I see this thinker lifestyle and thinker this everywhere. And it's, it's, it's pretty fascinating. Uh, and so once we had a word to define it, then we were able to say, hey, now we can make a company that serves this lifestyle. And up until then, no one did it because there was no classification. And it's it's like I read this interesting story about a, um, I think it was a sociologist who went and explored an island in which a tribe had never seen the modern world. And they talked to them and they learned the language and an interesting thing happened one day where they pointed to the ground, sorry, the sky, and they said, what color is it? And they used their word for blue. And then they pointed to the grass. And they said, oh, what color is this? And they used the word blue. And the person said, well, hold on, hold on. What's that again? Blue. And that? Blue? No, 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 no. They're, that's different from that, right? And they're like, no, the sky and the ground are the same color. And they didn't have a word for green and therefore didn't perceive it. Mm. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. And so... Going back to language shapes us, Baron Fig and creating this thinker thing, and it all just kind of congealed into what it is now 10 years later. And it's not perfect by any means. Uh, but the nice thing is that we have never gone out and raised um, venture capital and had kind of like, you know, people in really expensive suits tell us uh, the best way to to do this in terms of like, here's how to make the most money regardless of your soul. So, um, you know, I do feel really good about how we've done things so far. But anyway, to address the beginning of the whole moment where you said, um, you know, why if if there are people who like notebooks and there are people who don't or don't care, just put a paper in front of me. How does that relate? Right. Yeah, this is specifically so. There was a part in the book, A Tale of Two Gloves. Did you get to that by any yep. chance? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. I've gone through this book more than once. So it's... Oh, wow. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, I appreciate that. Um, yeah. So there's a, a uh, an analogy that I call A Tale of Two Gloves. Okay. And when you're creating something, we're going we're gonna to create gloves together, which is essentially um, you know, mind experiment. So imagine the most inoffensive gloves possible they're just gray there's no seams anywhere they're totally well fitting unobnoxious unobtrusive gloves and you would think well man anybody can wear these there's eight billion people on earth and anyone can wear these gloves and you're not wrong 
Now let's take a second set of gloves. And these gloves are specifically designed for people who live in the don't live in cities, who don't have to walk anywhere in the winter, but simply go from their home to their car. They have a smartphone. They don't sit, stay outside very long. So you can imagine gloves that are a very sleek uh, nylon with a couple shiny spots and the fingertips are all um, those touchscreen sensitive pads. And if you were to stay outside long, your hands would get cold, but they're perfectly fine from going to the car, the home to the car, the car to the store or whatever. Those gloves, the second set, will win out every time against the first glove for those set of people. So now what you have is, okay, cool, Joey, you beat me there, but what if I wanted to go digging? Okay, well, then there are gloves that are padded. Or if you want to do gardening, well, there are, there are gloves that have all sorts of stuff for gardening. Or if you want to go punch some stuff, there's boxing gloves <laughs> or skiing gloves. And so what you realize is that a niched, targeted, highly exclusionary, but also highly inclusionary effort will get more people every time than a thing that on the surface seems to attract a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So when I'm, I decide to make this philosophical thinker focused uh, Mac, let's say Apple esque brand, I excluded a ton of people, but I included a very specific set that I wanted to speak to. And I do speak to them. I love it. Yeah. And so I think I, it just comes back to this. I, this bigger idea, whether it's, you know, uh, running a company or in a classroom or just personal lives, it comes back to not so much on the, say like the product itself, even though obviously the product's important, but this like sense of community and belonging, you know, like you're, you're, you're part yeah. of something. Just like you were saying earlier, like there was this, there wasn't a word for the thinkers that people are just scribbling down the things. And yeah, I have, I've got oodles and oodles of notebooks that are not Instagram worthy, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like in that sense, because it's just, yeah. it's chicken scratch, but that's where, you know, but through that work and, and, and finding other people, you know, through the, a barren fake community, a thinker community or whatever community people are part of, you go, Hey, I'm not alone in this. And with that becomes new learning and new perspective taking, even though it is an, a, a, a niche market. I like, I, I continue to learn how people are thinking and operating that are similar to me but so vastly different, but there's that, that sense of belonging. Um, and I think to me, that's just regardless of what we're working through. And I think that comes back to these laws of creativity. You know, you want to belong to something where uh, I could share those ideas out, out in the world to be creative. You can't do it all in isolation either. And so I think there's just this kind of universal sense of, you know, I don't want to say finding your tribe. I don't know that that's the, the right phrase for it uh, anymore, but that sense of like, where, where are the yeah, people that people that, that, that you can resonate with? Yeah, the, I forget the exact quote, James Joyce, I think I put it in the book where it's like, in the particular lies the universal. So, you know, those gloves that you make for someone who's going to their car, even if the universal thing is that then you've created a group of people who can relate right the universality of a of a struggle or a desire or something like that and so you know the first gloves could attract 8 billion people the whole planet but they won't and even if you're doing one one thousandth of a percent of the planet that is more than enough to create 
uh, a massive success with an audience of people who can strongly um, gravitate towards what you're doing. Yeah, no, it's, it's so good. Um, I want to shift gears for one other question. I know we're running short on time here and there's so much, I mean, obviously people need to go just read this darn book because I think it just, there's so much to chew on and process and uh, apply to, to all the things that we do, regardless of, of the work that we do and the lives that we live. But in, in, in part to the book, um, cause I, I found this to be, uh, Personally, and maybe it's just where I'm at in my own journey of my my work career, uh, in the part two of the book of getting into, you know, the chapter is on defining the problem. And you have a part in there in that chapter about the problem method in terms of how most people and this is and and this is where I was at. So maybe that's why it resonated so much is that we describe creativity as problem solving. And you made my my brain explode when you framed it as actually it's only one third of the process. And you talk about the three parts: problem seeking, problem sharpening, and problem solving. And not to go through and summarize that, but like, how did you like come into that thought or or? or expand more on that. I mean, obviously I know the book yeah. does, but to me it was such a, like it, I stopped in my tracks and I'm like, I've never thought of it that way. I've always seen it as I like legit in the classrooms that I'm working with. And in my PD, I, I say creativity is a form of problem solving. And then I'm going, oh, yeah. this, it, it is your, this, this, this is right. It's, it's not the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, I mean, creativity is misunderstood. Oops. Creativity is misunderstood in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, you know, just creativity in and of itself, right. It, people think it is something that is only relegated to uh, quote unquote creatives like designers or illustrators or writers. And that's, that's not the case. Creativity fundamentally is just the practice of ideas. It's that simple. Yeah. You know, like athletics is just the endeavor of the body creativity is just the practice of ideas is what your mind is doing and it is i i say that the two ways in which creativity can be embodied is to solve problems or express concepts so like for example uh let it let's take a painter um they're not solving a problem on the canvas they're just expressing an idea right and uh let's conversely take a teacher and they might be trying to figure out how best to reach a student. And so they are engaging the problem method because they are trying to solve a problem. However, there's there's two other parts to that. Like you said, problem seeking, sharpening, and then solving. And so this, I, I'm glad you brought this up because this is a tightly tied together narrative here where we talked earlier on about assumptions and how we are, if we're not careful, we will take the ideas that were given to us and just roll with them without looking at the fundamentals. The same thing happens often with problem solving is we look at a problem and someone says, well, this is the problem. And then we go about solving it without stepping back first and sharpening the problem. Do I really understand it? Is it, um, you know, how do I get this child to listen in class? Or is it, how do I get this child in the right class? Or how do I get this child the right teacher? Or how do I get this child to um, participate more? Like the problem, if we just say, how do I get this kid to listen or whatever it was I said first, we could actually be totally obfuscating the real reason why 
this is the problem to begin with or, or a perceived problem. And so problem sharpening is key. And then a lot of jobs and people in their private lives too, problem seeking is a thing where, you know, let's say an entrepreneur, right? They're big on problem seeking. Like what's a problem that I could solve in the world? And you have to go first find it and before you can even attempt. Um, and, you know, teachers too, if, if you have the desire, the aspiration to be a phenomenal teacher, which I am sure you do after speaking with you, you're going to have to do some introspection and some, you know, outrospection to find things that you can improve on. So before you can solve the problem of how do I get better, before you can sharpen that understanding that you might have you have to look around and say what the heck can i work on because you know it's not always apparent and so yeah the the creativity in a nutshell is this um trifecta of seeking sharpening and solving yeah i love it and i love how you you brought it full circle and i think it's um a really great way to uh close this conversation before i go down another rabbit hole and uh soak up your entire day in conversation. Uh, so Joya, this has been so powerful. I, I appreciate you carving out time out of your day um, to share about your work and all those things that you have going on with Baron Fig and obviously this 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 awesome book, The Laws of Creativity. Uh, before we finish up to let people know where they can seek out and find more information about you. Is there anything that you want to share that you didn't get a chance to, um, that you want to make sure the listeners, um, many who probably be the first time they've, they've, they've heard of you that you want to share and make sure that, that, um, they are aware of any, any final thoughts that we didn't get to. Oh man, there's so much. <laughs> I, I, I will say, uh, I will dig into the one thing that I kind of really enjoy and people seem to dig cause it's a, it's a nutshell of an idea which is um, we've all heard of quality over quantity, right? Yep. And the problem with that adage is that it tells you the end and we know how dangerous yeah, the end yeah, is, yeah. Uh, but it doesn't tell you how to get there. And so if I told you, hey man, go be strong, that's I'm telling you the end. Now I'm not telling you to go work out and go lift weights or go run or do any of this. And so that that's a damaging, um, very damaging idea because when people create, they will, I want to do something really good. And so they focus on getting something really good out on the first shot. The problem is that is not how anything works. You're never good on the first shot. So to leave everybody with, I will say quality over quantity is true in the end, but quantity begets quality. And so in order to do something really great, you need to do a lot of really crappy things. When you're learning to play an instrument, you got to play a lot of crap notes before you're good. When you are a designer, I've made a hundred book covers before I made this cover. Literally, a, just a insurmountable amount of stuff comes out <laughs> before you find what's good. So even if you don't pick up the book, on the next thing that you're trying to create, remember that you don't want to just make one version of it. You want to make a lot. And I do, a, a, I'll leave people with that idea. I love it. I love it. And I think that's... uh something that we're, it's an easy step to skip because we're, for a whole host of reasons, we are in a, this instant gratification type society. I yeah. think we've always maybe kind of had that urge as humans, but I think it's there more prevalent more than ever before. And so we, we have this 
to go back to a word that's come up quite a bit, this assumption that we need to be right and perfect and and it needs to be the thing right away or otherwise we're not good, I think uh, also stops a lot of people in their tracks. And so I, I love that that thought nugget here as we uh, totally. bring, it, bring this to a close. And so Joey, I know we'll, we'll get links to your website, um, mm-hmm. the book, uh, Baron Fig, um, but for other people, if they're listening, and I always say if they're at a at a, at a red light and they want to go learn more <laughs> about you, are there any other places or things like that that they can 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 go reach out and uh, learn more? Yeah, I mean, the first spot, just go to my website, joeycafone.com. It'll probably be in the show notes, C-O-F-O-N-E. And uh, you can check out the book. You can go to Baron Fig from there. You can go to my Twitter. Uh, you can say hello. And it's, it's all there. Let's check it out if you're interested. Perfect. Yeah. And I'll also plug the newsletter you got going on. It's, uh, uh, I I, I love getting that in my inbox. It's, you know, I I don't always like more email, but I do look forward to the newsletter. I appreciate that. So there's, make sure you sign up for that as well. So Joy, this has been so great. Thank you so much for your time. I wish you much success with this book. I hope people go out and buy it and read it. And uh, I, I look forward to continuing to follow your journey and using your products and, uh, you know, staying awesome and using the laws to stay creative. So I appreciate your time. Aaron, thank you, man, for the invite, for the conversation. I I could have definitely gone on. I could talk to you all day. I love this stuff. Um, And everybody out there, thank you for listening. Always appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Chaos.